The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's our last evening together for this week, this householder retreat, daily life practice retreat. Try to rename it. And before, um, I do, I do want to hear from you. Um, I'd like to hear what's going on, but I thought I'd first see if there's any questions. I don't actually often start with questions during this week. I ask for you what's going on, but any questions? I notice when um, I'm paying attention to whatever, um, it, the attention, I don't necessarily direct it, but the attention can focus in narrow to detail or far wide. And um, there isn't any special rhyme or reason as to broad or narrow. Uh, it can be willful. I can go, oh, I'm, a, I'm attentive now and then keep it wide, or I'm attentive now and just see what's around and just focus on that and sort of minutia. Is there any... Any benefit to one or the (laughs) other? other, Yeah. Um, I think it... Not necessarily any benefit to one or the other. Um, Although it's well worth looking at, particularly if you're not doing the focusing or broadening, to looking at um, what's going on in terms of something is is something is uh, some intention is having the mind do that, and it is can be interesting to look at that. Um, Again, that's not something you can really try to do. But, you know, whatever the mind does, every act of body, speech, and mind has an intention behind it, even if it's not a conscious intention. If we're not consciously choosing, you know, okay, I'm going to direct my attention down to the, to the floor now versus being broad and opening, kind of consciously choosing. Um, you know, if the mind is suddenly drawn to something, the movement... <laughs> There's a reason. There's something there. Um, and often those unseen reasons are motivated out of habits, patterns. Um, you know, I've seen myself... Today it was interesting. I was, I was in the kitchen and I was, I was washing things. And I saw the... In, there was just like this... Whew, intensity of focusing on doing the dishes and it was like that the the mind really narrowed in on that and in observing that whole experience it was like this is over intense 
focusing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a habit in my mind to really kind of focus. I remember first seeing this, I think, on one one retreat doing um, vegetable washing um, on a retreat and, and seeing just how intense I was about ves- vegetable washing. It's like, it's vegetables. You know? <laughs> and, you know, there's, I think, a kind of a, at least in, in my own experience, for that kind of a focus, when I, I feel the kind of tensing around it, which isn't, wasn't originally obvious to me. It's, it's, you know, it's more as the mind opens, it gets a little more quiet that it sees that kind of tensing around that directing of the attention. And I realized that um, it's, it's a little bit of, um, I think it's, it's the wanting. It's, it's, you know, wanting to really be focused. And so when I see that kind of thing happening, it's like, this is actually not a skillful, in terms of suitability, this is not a suitable directing of the attention right now. It's actually motivated out of a little bit of greed. And so when I see that, it's like I go, okay, you know, I can be washing the dishes and being mindful and just being a little more at ease around it. Um, So noticing at least for me particularly, around the, you know, the zeroing in on something, that for me is something that is, is helpful for me to notice, recognize. You know, if my mind just zooms in on something, it's almost always some kind of habit going. Um, other people may have the, a habit around the kind of broad awareness. You know, it's like, oh, let's just settle back and be in the space. <laughs> oh, let's just settle back and be in the space as a way of avoiding something. Um, so noticing for yourself when those movements happen, that kind of exploration can be interesting. Um, and then there is, in terms of your own meditative development, cultivating the ability for the mind to be flexible. Joseph Goldstein said to me many times, you should always have a choice in how your mind attends and what it's attending to. If you don't have a choice, there's something. You're caught in something. So, um, you know, that's been an interesting exploration. You know, when it feels like, you know, the mind has to pay attention to something, there can be some stuckness there. But it is, it is helpful to cultivate the capacity for that attentiveness and that really careful observation of something, paying attention to the breathing, really staying with the breathing, cultivating the mind's ability, kind of honing the knife of that capacity. Because without the honing of that knife, it's not going to um, develop. And likewise with the capacity to really be open and spacious... Um, it can take some practice with that. The guided exercise I did this morning, moving out into that kind of very open, spacious awareness, being able to hang out in that space, um, can also take some practice. So 
if you see that you're more skilled at one or the other, it can be helpful to kind of learn to, to broaden out and or to uh, get a little more clear, more focused. I, I tend to... This is not quite phrased right, but uh, question the purpose. The purpose of widening, the purpose of narrowing, the purpose of a particular type of meditation. It's for, there's an end result that I don't know. <laughs> but um, Well, the end result is, is always non-clinging. <laughs> So all of these are, I think I said earlier this week that there's many ways that the mind pays attention. And um, all of these are ways that the mind pays attention. So it's cultivating the ability to uh, be aware in the various ways that the mind pays attention. And noticing when there's clinging. So that we can... Loosen the grip. <laughs> um, I mean, that's 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 the that's the kind of you know. Nothing is worth clinging to. That's the the kind of you know one sentence summary of the Buddhist teaching. Nothing is worth clinging to is I, me, or mine. And there is purpose in in a sense. I mean, like the Tibetans really emphasize the broad awareness. The Mahasi emphasizes the the really detailed, precise awareness. Um, they are different approaches to seeing. I get a real different um, vibe result from. Mahasi noting detail kind of gets me uptight. <laughs> gets you uptight? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, open space, uh, calming. I'm doing a lot of the noting. Like, a lot of the noting, and, and uh, for this sitting, I, I it just did one focus concentration, and it was it wasn't noting, it wasn't finding all the things that were going on, and so much more relaxing, at least for this present yeah. condition. Yeah. It's worth exploring the practice of the focused attention and seeing if there's a way to engage in that with that spaciousness. So... Um, play with it, but don't get too tight. <laughs> you know, if you find yourself getting really tight, back off. <laughs> it's not so helpful to get really, really tight. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Peter. Peter. The uh, dialogue you were just having I thought was very interesting, but it raised a lot of qu questions in my own mind. And 
maybe I'm maybe I'm looking more for confirmation than answers or some other perspective. To me, it's, to me, what happens in that narrowing and broadening? It has to do with going between focusing, samadha, and letting go. And, um, you know, I'm not certain that that's really what's happening, but that's the, pretty much the way I experience it. And it's my understanding that the vipassana and the samatha Samadhi are kind of flip sides of the same coin, but ultimately, if you're letting go, you let go of the focusing, the effort of focusing, and yet your mind stays in the still place. Hmm. Um, I would add a little piece. Basically, I I. Um, I agree with what with the what you're saying, but there's a piece I'd add, which is um, that you can also direct the attention and receive experience, changing experience. That the the focus of attention is not strictly samadhi. That it it can be opening to change within a a contain a container a contain a, a a narrower area of observation. So the breath, for example, you know the the paying attention to the breathing can be a concentration practice, or it can be an insight practice depending on how you're attending to it. So the narrowing itself doesn't mean samadhi necessarily. That's the only piece that I, I thought, I wasn't sure if that's what you meant, but it kind of sounded like that. So, um, Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how it came out, but what you said does make good sense. And, and so if you're, if you're there in a still place, you can still see things rising and passing away. Yes, yeah, yeah. In, in the samadhi, the, the concentration practice is a practice of, you know, bringing the attention to just one thing over and over and over. And it tends to get you to a still place where you may not see a rising and passing. It kind of can, can bring you into a place of solid, stable, you know, a a real state that is constructed that feels very stable. Um, And you may not see arising and passing away in that experience. So there's different kinds of concentration. Maybe I'll just say this a little bit for the group. Um, that, That the concentration... Um, can have that quality of really focusing the mind coming into a very still place where there's not much change happening, where there's a very solid state of tranquility, of peace, of stillness. 
and it doesn't feel like there's much going on. Or if it feels like there's stuff going on, it's like you're in the broom closet. You know, you're in the broom closet, and all of that hurricane that's happening out there—it's not touching you. You know, it—it it just feels like you're kind of solid here. And then, um, so that's one kind of concentration. And then there's another kind of concentration which is developed through the continuity of mindfulness. That when you bring your attention to changing experience moment to moment, noticing, as we did the other day with the mindfulness out loud practice, those of you who were, who were here for that, just the, the noticing moment to moment, seeing, hearing, vibration, calm, tension, dryness, just, just keep noticing the changing phenomenon. The stability of the awareness, staying connected to changing experience, creates a concentration. And it can be a very powerful concentration. That, that concentration, and that concentration, that, that kind of concentration can be cultivated in having a wide open field of awareness like we've been talking about, like the, the exercise this morning where you're just connecting to the, the kind of broader experience and just the continuity of awareness in that broad field might be just taking in the broadness of the field or it might be noticing the sound, the sight, the, the smells, the touches, the mind states just kind of in in continuousness, just a a wide variety of the rapidly changing flow of mind and body. Or that kind of um, moment-to-moment concentration could be developed on the the breathing, paying attention to the breathing itself, the rising and falling, the beginning, the middle, the end of the in-breath, the beginning, the middle, the end of the out-breath, seeing the changing nature of sensations in the breath is makes it a a moment-to-moment awareness practice as opposed to that settling in on one thing. When you're noticing change, you're cultivating uh, the the insight practice, the mindfulness um, side more than the concentration side. The concentration side, you're not really looking at change. The concentration side, you're really trying to stabilize on... It's actually concept that you stabilize on in um, concentration practice. So it gets very still. Yeah, it gets very still. Um, So the moment-to-moment awareness, the moment-to-moment awareness cultivates a very solid concentration from which we see things just coming and going. We, we get to a balance, an equilibrium, a place of equanimity with things coming and going. It doesn't, it's, it's not a problem. That whatever comes, an unpleasant, a pleasant sensation, it's just this changing flow of phenomenon. And when the mind is stable and steady, it's just fine hanging out with whatever comes, whatever's present. So that's the, um, the concentration of what's called momentary concentration or moment-to-moment concentration. And it's got a different flavor than that uh, real solid, still kind of concentration. Um, 
So that was just a little riff off of <laughs> what you were saying. Did you have anything else that, okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. And uh, Juan Chen. I just have a question. <clears throat> so in the focused concentration, is there an awareness of the bodily sensation? Uh, it, 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 there may not be. It depends on how focused that awareness gets. So it's kind, it dep- of, like, kind of like falling asleep then. One's no longer aware of the... Um, no, you're aware of the object that you're focusing on. But in, in the concentration, it can get so um, focused that you're only aware of that. So you wouldn't be aware of other bodily sensations. So... Uh, is it possible to achieve achieve this kind of concentration when there are like discomforts in the <coughs> in the body? Is it? <laughs> it is. It is possible. Yeah. It, if your mind is pulled to the discomfort, um, it will be challenging to develop that concentration because that takes you away from the still point. But yes, you can. You can use the discomfort as your object of your object of, of focus meditation and have that as the object. That's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, that that's that's not I, I I I'm not sure using the discomfort in the body would be an object of of, of Focused concentration, it would be an object of moment to moment concentration. So, I'd like to hear some of what's happening for you, Um, some reports about what's going on. Uh, Andre, Andrea. <laughs> so, um, yesterday and and today, I I had a very satisfying experience bringing mindfulness to my exercise routine, and I um, I um, I've been having all kinds of challenges and with pain, but yesterday and today I was really very able to bring the mindfulness and the softness in the body when I concentrate to my swimming, and it was really so delightful. I, I could feel my body moving in a way, way beyond my ability of swimming, because I'm not a good swimmer, but but I could tell that the focused mind and the softness that I was bringing was making me move in a way that was um, great for my body and my mm. mind. Mm. So it was. So what was yeah, the softness that you're talking about? The, the softness um, of attention. Yeah. So when I I've, I I know that well from meditation that. Uh, and you know how you said a while ago um, that you bring your focus and it can get too intense. I totally resonate with that because I, I do that too. 
So for me, the challenge has been um, the way that I have found to balance that is bring the attention to the body, and I always find a place in the body that is too involved, that is a little too tense because I'm focusing. Uh So I um, try to find that place, and then I've learned to just like open it up, and that's what I was doing when I was moving. So you found that you were able to do that in the movement? In the movement, Uh which is Uh new for me. That's great. Yeah, felt really wonderful. Yeah, what was the state of mind? Oh, it was delightful. I it just felt totally uh, open, very, very wide open. Um, and I was totally happy. It was cold and rainy, and I was out there swimming, and it felt great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've noticed that uh, earlier in the week I, I felt like I was lots more mindful than I am now. My mind felt much more settled and peaceful, almost like it needed that quiet. And as the week has gone on, uh, there's a massive rebellion going on. <laughs> so my mind is like all over the place. I mean, it's just like, oh, forget this, I can't do this kind of thing. And um, um, so I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that besides keep on trying. Well, keep on, keep on, keep on trying for sure. Um, um, you know, sometimes that kind of rebellion can happen um, if there's been a little too much intensity in the, you know, engagement of the the practice. And, you know, you'll find that happens on retreat, too, you know, and and it it happens in a kind of a different scale on retreat. You know, you get up and you're all gung-ho and, you know, you're going to be practicing and practicing really hard and then by, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like, forget it. (laughs) I can't do any (laughs) more. So there's something about learning the, um, the art of how to just gently keep applying the effort, um, not in a heavy way, but just, just, um, just as, as, as you can. So that's what I'd encourage you at this point, to not, not try to get back to where it was, but see, you know, it's just like what happens often, I think, is like we, we, we end up on these, um, like two sides. It's like we, we try harder and we we get benefit from that. I mean, it's like we see the mindfulness gets clearer, things stabilize, they settle, and yet it's not sustainable. And then the mind kind of rebounds off of that and goes the other way. And it's like, oh, you know, I got to try harder. But it's kind of more, you know, seeing, seeing the two sides. And we do kind of have to go off on either side to begin to find out where that middle place is. Um, but, um, you know, you could try to come back to that center through a, a little more um, friendly or kind, a little bit more kindness and friendliness and lightness of touch to 
um, to the practice. Um, And it also could simply be that conditions changed in the middle of the week for you. And the mindfulness is just that there's just different conditions. So, you know, it's not necessarily anything that you've done that's shifted it. It can, it can just be conditions changing, you know, the weather changing or something in your mind or some event that happens that can shift. And for us to expect, I mean, it's like this is, this is, some, this is a flow of our practice. It's a flow of our practice that we go through times when mindfulness is stronger and we go through times when mindfulness is weaker. Um, and just one, one thing that Gil said to me at one point, and I think I said it earlier this week, just make the best effort that you can given the circumstances. Um, you can't give up. If you give up, then you really have to work hard <laughs> again. <laughs> if, if you don't give up, if you just keep bringing as much mindfulness as you can to the situation, just keep, keep trying. You know, that patient resolve that I talked about at the beginning, you know. Oh, here I am again. I'm aware. I notice, boy, it's been an hour. It's been two hours. It's been half a day since I remembered to be mindful. In that moment, just, again, come back to the practice of here I am, what can I notice, and keep trying. Just, just make that resolve to keep trying. Not in the, uh, in the way of trying to hold on to this mindfulness now, but um, in the way of just you know, resolving that, just placing that intention in the mind towards mindfulness. And that intention will have consequences. And at some point, conditions will change again, and the mindfulness will come back into play, and there'll be more periods of, of um, more continuity again. So it is a flow, and we need to learn to recognize that flow. Um, you know, often at the beginning of a period of practice, we have a little more energy to put in. And so it gets the engine going. And then um, we maybe have, as I said, the first part I said, you know, we maybe have been working a little too hard to get that engine going. And so there's that rebound effect. So does any of this resonate for, for, uh, for you? Is it? Yeah. Does anybody have anything that they feel like they've learned this week that they'd like to share with the group? I think there's a lot of wisdom in this room. I'd like some of it to come out. For me, it's just been an expanded exploration more than any one thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, just seeing where um, awareness arises 
certain circumstances. It's sort of being witness in a way to yeah. these things uh-huh. happening mm-hmm. more and more. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm thinking, well, hmm, how can I? So I'm, now I'm trying to like make it better, uh, expand the duration. What's going on? Why the duration isn't the longer than I would like, or how is it built? And it just sort of tinkering with the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's skillful or not, but you know, just trying to lengthen the ability to be aware at any given time mm-hmm. for the duration mm-hmm. of whatever is going on. So it's just it's just like exploration. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's great. It can just be exploration. <laughs> you know, actually, it was a kind of a, a shift for me, particularly on my retreat practice, when I moved from a place where, you know, the retreat felt like it, it was like, okay, there hasn't been a big insight yet, so <laughs> the retreat's not a success yet. <laughs> It's not, it's, not, it's not working. And it's not until I get some insight that it's like, oh, whew, okay, this retreat was worth it. And finally, it's just like, you know, no, it is just the exploration. You know, it's like... <laughs> that uh, when I finally got to the place where I didn't have to be um, waiting for that big insight to prove something about my practice... Um, I've one one thing that I've found interesting in this during this week about the mindfulness is that even though the doors, which are very challenging because there's so many of them, (laughs) that my mindfulness is very often not during the door, but more than, than usual in general, the general world, mm-hmm. my general world. So it's kind of nice because it doesn't have to be. That's just kind of like a potential way to do it. Exactly. So, and and the, I mean, the reason why I suggest the doors is, as I said early on, it's like it gives you a point of reference so that when you wake up, you remember and that's it. I mean, it's, it is primarily that. And, and yes, it gives you much more mindfulness. So whether or not you get the doors isn't as much yeah, that's, the point. That's how it's felt this way. <laughs> and also not feeling like a failure when I don't. It's like, oh, yes. And I'll, I'll say it, that I'm going to do it. I'll just say it to Jeff, you know, we're getting out of the car or something. And totally forget it within <laughs> four nanoseconds. Well, no, four <laughs> seconds, you know. car stops. <laughs> so it's, it's laughable in some ways. But, you know, anyway. So that's been interesting. So one thing I'll just just say about that, because this was, um, and Bud's not here, um, Bud was exploring this kind of thing of the nanosecond <laughs> missing the thing. You know, it's like, and it was, it was reliable for him, you know, that, that uh, every time he got in the car, he'd forget to push, forget when he was going to push that button. And, um, you know, I said, it sounds like there's something really interesting. The mind is, you know, there's something really interesting going on that the mind is really interested in. You know, see if you can find out what that is. Um, and uh, it was fruitful. It was a fruitful exploration. So if you find patterns or places where, like the getting out of the car, 
you know, you remember as you're pulling up to the parking spot, oh, I'm going to get out of the... And three seconds later, you forget. You know, not, not necessarily exploring to try to hold on to be there for the door opening, but be curious about what is it that the mind gets interested in that it misses the door. I mean, the, the attention has gone somewhere, yes. and the mind is fascinated by something. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so that that's fun. I mean, I think that's fun. I like. I mean, I I like this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, get interested in the. You know, what is so fascinating in that three seconds that the mind can't hold on to that thought? There's something interesting there that the mind is like. Yeah, so that. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Karen. This isn't something I learned this week, but it's a question. Okay. <laughs> uh, for, for the last two years, I've had tinnitus. So when there's silence, my ears ring, um, especially my left one. Do you, do you have any suggestions? Uh, um. You know, with tinnitus, if if it's tinnitus, I would I would see if you could just redirect the attention. Are you pulled to it? I mean, does it? Fit? Well, that's, that's, that, that's what's in my awareness when uh-huh. there's silence is the fact that my ears ring, unless I'm thinking a lot, and then I get distracted. Now, now, is it annoying or is it? Um, yeah, it is annoying. Yeah. Um, you know, with tinnitus, it's kind of an interesting thing because if you cultivate... I mean, some teachers talk about cultivating a concentration on the kind of high-pitched... Um, I call it the, the nada sound, you know, the, the sound of silence, the kind of just a very high-pitched sound in the ear. And Ajahn Sumedho talks about this a lot. Um, but with tinnitus, it's it's not that same thing. I mean, that the sound of silence is a little more subtle. I can hear I can hear right now a very high pitched, ringing, sound. Um, but if you in tinnitus actually use it as a focus of concentration, which you could, you could actually use it as a place to rest your attention. Um, but I think that will strengthen it. I, well, I think it'll make it stronger when you're not meditating. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, so so that's that's why I suggest you know you, you could use it that way, but I think it would probably just put that object into your field. I mean, for instance, what I focused, what I have used as my primary object is the vibration of the full body, and I can feel that almost all the time because that's been my my primary object. So if you use something as a as a focus for your attention, it it becomes more obvious to you just all the time. So I would not recommend allowing your attention to go there. I would see if you could find something that you could you know, let your attention rest with elsewhere, either the breathing or maybe sensations in your hands or some other experience, feet on the ground, um, body touching the chair, something that feels 
obvious that you can connect with. And when you notice your attention pulled to the, to the tinnitus, just letting it go and coming back. Over time, if you continually... Because there may be a tendency, a kind of habit of going there. I don't know if that's happened. Yeah. Is it still there? Yeah. Yeah. If there's a habit of, of, it, of going there, then uh, it'll get pulled there. So you kind of need to work with that to just come back to some other experience in the meditation. Thanks. Thanks. When you say vibration of the body, do you mean that little bellowsy kind of thing? Yeah. Could you say a little more about what vibration in the body is? What you're referring to? Well, it's not bellows. It's uh, it's more rapid. Um, Sometimes it feels like purring. You know, it, um, sometimes it can get really loud. I, re- I remember when I early, early when I first started noticing this. It's like I still had my cat, and um, and you know, I would wake up and the whole body would be purring, and it'd be like, "Where's my cat? Is she like, you know, really? She must be purring really loud." But no, it was me. It was. <laughs> it was just. It felt like this. You know, this little engine going. It's it's subtler than that sometimes. I mean, it, it, it just feels more... I mean, moment to moment, it's just... It's under the skin. It's under the surface of the skin. Um, it's pretty much full body. Full body. I feel it more strongly in the limbs, in a way. Um... But, you know, that, that is, again, the object uh, in, in... I use the full-body awareness, uh, physical awareness, as my primary focus in my insight practice. And then when I started doing concentration practice, I was working with Tan Jeff, and he teaches full-body breathing, which is an even subtler kind of vibration, in a way. Not a bellows kind of thing, but just the kind of energetic field. And it can get very subtle. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, it varies depending on on how focused and concentrated the mind is. At this point, sitting here right now, it's, um, it's, it's like little points of sensation coming and going all over the body. Uh, so the question is, could I teach the, a full body breathing sometime? I have a day long on full body breathing in June, I believe. Here. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I read this method too, I, many, many times. I, I don't understand it. Uh huh. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's helpful to have a little guidance on it, um, and also, you know, there is a. He came and did a day on mindfulness of breathing. Tan Jeff came and did a day on mindfulness of breathing, and that was recorded, so you can listen to yeah, that I on the internet. That yeah, I still don't understand. Still don't understand. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see if I if I fare any better. 
<laughs> in the explanation. <laughs> yeah, Kumi. Where's the, uh, the microphone? When do you actually concentrate on body sensations like keratinitis? And uh, when do you not concentrate on, you know, some sensations in the body like keratinitis? You said not to pay attention to it. Mm. When do you actually go how do you do, So how do you know when to pay attention to a body sensation and not... Actually, go into the sound and become the sound and become. Well, as I explained for that particular case, um, because it's a, got a physical phenomenon, there's a physical component to that experience. And putting the attention on it will just increase the mind's um, attunement to that and will just make it more and more and more obvious all the time. And if that is not what one wishes, then one would not put the attention on that. So another example of this might be painful experience that is um, a chronic pain, for instance, um, where the mind is kind of naturally pulled to pain. But in this case, there's nothing you could do about the pain. Um, And... Attending to pain that's chronic like that can just wear the mind out. So you may, you may if you have chronic pain, want to cultivate uh, a more spacious approach or attention to something other than the pain. So it has it has it's a little to do with context and um, the situation whether you would choose to bring attention to. A particular sensation or not? Andrea. I thought she said she was. She was. She uh, included the pain, and then it worked for you. I thought that's what I heard. There was a tightness that she went into and could release. That's I heard something like that. Use the microphone. Yeah. Um, one one thing that that <clears throat> I experienced not not long ago that was tremendously helpful with the pain that I've been having that's almost chronic is um, I was asked to put attention in my body and my attention went immediately to the pain, but then I was asked to put attention uh, in the space around it. So the moment it was really interesting. The moment my mind went to the space beyond where it was hurting, there was a relaxation happening. And, and the pain went down quite a few notches. Did you say beyond? Uh, Use the microphone. Use the microphone, thank you. Well, uh, for example, my pain is here. So when, when I was told, now put your concentration on the space around it, I was focusing in this area. And, I, I mean, I actually had the vision that the pain just seeped out of my body. And it was, it was really much better. 
Yeah, so um, so with chronic pain in particular, it's often helpful to uh, to not like necessarily go into it. With other pains, you know, it it can be extremely instructive. You know, pains that aren't chronic or that um, aren't damaging to the body. And if you're experiencing damaging pain, I recommend moving. <laughs> Um, so it, it really, it, it depends on a situation, you know, so if you have a question, a particular question, we could talk about that, um, privately, you know, about, uh, you know. I guess my rough my rough guideline or my rough estimate about when one would go towards something and when one would uh, move away from it is if the um, in the moving towards it there's a kind of a feeling of there's no choice in going towards it then probably there's it's it, it's it's beneficial to find ways to loosen that grip and if in the going towards it um, there's a feeling of being overwhelmed by the experience, then it's not so helpful to go there either. If you go towards it and you find you lose mindfulness, it's not so helpful. But if you can go with, go with something and, um, and be with it without feeling either like you have to be there or like you're being overwhelmed by it, then that's usually the the, the the place to be, and so so that's kind of my rough guide. Some of my rough guidelines around that. <laughs> so, so tomorrow morning we meet at nine. The um